Hey, it's Casey. Fastco Works has a bonus episode for you today. It's part of a custom podcast called Creativity Equation, a special series about science, technology, and innovation produced in partnership with GSK. But don't worry, we'll be back next week with another episode of Creative Conversation. Welcome to Creativity Equation, a special series in partnership with GSK about science, technology, and innovation. Everyone loves an overnight success story, but the world's greatest innovations, the light bulb, the steam engine, the airplane, they just don't happen overnight. And in some industries, like pharma, they can take years. Of course, when you get to the end of it all, when you land on those major breakthroughs, it's clear that all of your hard work was worth it. But let's go back to the beginning. How do you decide which projects are worthy of your investment, knowing there's a chance that it doesn't turn out how you'd planned? How do you take the risks required for a potential reward, but in a calculated way? To find out, I talked with Dr. Hal Barron, GSK's Chief Scientific Officer. As the person responsible for the research and development of GSK's medicines and vaccines, the innovations he's focused on have a major impact on the world and human health. In Hal's world, especially in light of COVID, people might think innovation in pharma is measured only in an output, the vaccine, the medicine. But to Hal, increasingly, the innovation in pharma is also the process itself. Hal, you've worked in pharma for about 25 years. How do you think about innovation in your role? You know, it's a great question. I think innovation is incredibly important in our industry. It's important in, in almost all industries to be able to advance um, the opportunities you have to, in our case, help patients. I've also learned a fair amount from just interacting with other people in the industry and, and in other industries and lessons learned from them that I could share. But I think that one of the most important lessons I think that I've seen for being an innovative company is first having a vision that's incredibly inspiring, one that is going to last for a long period of time. One of the most innovative science companies ever, maybe the most innovative science company ever was Bell Labs. Their vision was to network the world. You might even say, well, what does that even mean? But because of the incredibly inspiring vision that they had, they were able to do incredible things from fiber optics to transistors probably developed or enabled the development of computers, phones, radios, internet, you know, pretty much everything we do today. It, it was a culmination of a lot of different things. I mean, not just this incredibly important vision, but also basically incredible talent. They had really almost head-spinning talent. I think the other thing that Bell Labs highlights and was very, very evident to me was the importance of technology, really being able to identify the most important technologies of the, of the time and and pushing them to the state of the art, if not beyond. Making sure that you've focused on the right technology, the one that's really gonna transform your industry is critical. But if you do that and have a, a compelling vision, outstanding people, you know, I think you have a, a real strong shot at developing an innovative company. At GSK, we've also sort of highlighted how important culture is in innovation, having an innovative culture where, um, in addition to having outstanding people, to, to really take a few other lessons out of playbooks that I've learned from various uh, mentors and managers. And the first one is the importance of embracing smart risk, not fearing failure, not actually taking the decision that's most likely uh, gonna turn out safe, but one that might be bold and, and smart, not always correct, but smart. Bold and smart. It's what everyone wants to be, but it's hard to put into practice when truly transforming your industry requires taking a leap, 
but a calculated one. Hal, how do you define a smart risk, especially in your industry where what you're making involves people's health and safety? That's a great question. It's hard to define on a day-to-day basis. In the pharmaceutical industry, in the biotech, well, we're faced oftentimes with molecules that have potential. We, we looked at what's the probability it's going to work, how many patients will, are we going to help, how long is it going to take, what's it going to cost, and we can use metrics that are much less specific than the coin flip game that I described, but one that can allow you to understand that it might be unlikely to work. I mean, people don't always notice this, but 90% of medicines that enter clinical testing at some point fail. But the point being that sometimes you can see through your analytics that certain molecules might have a higher than 10% and they might help more people. And then there's others that might be even more likely to work, but help very few people. So it's not just about whether you get it right, but it's this whole calculus of how many patients you're going to have help, how long is it going to take, what's it going to cost to develop the medicine, and more importantly, not fearing failure. When you made a good decision, let's say you made a terrific decision, let's say it's 20% likely to work, it's twice as likely as an average molecule, it still means it's going to fail 80% of the time, and you can't really look at that and say, well, I made a mistake. So this fear of failure, like re- reevaluating your thinking, if you happen to get three tails in a row when you, when you guess three heads, a lot of times innovative companies will buckle to the pressure because it looks like whatever your strategy was, no matter how smart you thought it was, you, you start to get nervous that people are going to judge you on the outcome per se and not whether it was a smart risk. So we've, we've divided, uh, one, one of the things we do oftentimes in talking about smart risk is talk about whether it was a good decision or a bad decision and whether it was a correct decision or an incorrect decision. In other words, you can have a good decision that was right and that's easy, we all celebrate those, but you can make a good decision that was ended up being wrong. And oftentimes people who make a good decision was wrong, regret it. And what I think innovative cultures do is reward it. They say a good decision that was wrong, you should do again. It's a good decision, keep doing it. In the long run, it'll work out. And I think innovative companies have that. I think you have to have a culture of rewarding smart risk-taking and and be rigorous in defining it. That's really interesting because at some organizations, I'm sure it's easy to conflate failure with being wrong. Or there might be cultures that focus solely on outcomes, even though some successes might not be good decision-making, but rather luck. And of course, luck is not a strategy. There's a real freedom, I think, that's created at an organization where leaders say, okay, that project didn't work out, but we're looking at the decision-making behind it. Exactly. And it's always hard because there are bad decisions that were wrong as well. And you can't just say everything was a smart risk and and just accept failing all the time. So it's important to be analytic in your approach. But I can tell you, let me give you an example. It's the converse. It's, it's also intuitive, but, but you can see why. If I wanted to be right 90% of the time in my decision-making, I could just say everything's going to fail. I could see everything coming out of research and go, you know what, I've been doing this a long time. I just don't think that's going to work. And then 20 years later, people go, boy, that how guy, he, he knew it. He knew it from the beginning. And I'm doing nothing other than predicting it's going to fail, but I'll be right 90% of the time. So if you think about it, when you're running uh, an R&D organization where the risk profile is one like biotech and pharma, it's not about accuracy because I can get very accurate. It's about adding value through taking smart risk, which means not fearing failure. So that's another pillar, again, that I think distinguishes innovative cultures. It's not just talking about smart risk taking, but rewarding it. In helping to create this culture, this way of thinking, What's one great piece of advice that you've pulled through from your career and brought to GSK? In the early days of Genentech, David Packard came to visit, who had formed Hewlett Packard and was at that stage in his life advising lots of companies. 
He had said something that he said to many companies. He said that, you know, most companies he's talked to always worry about not having enough, that they'll die from starvation. So they just get more and more stuff to cover their bets, to make sure that they're a robust company in the future. And he said, you know, they all worry about starvation, but in fact, they all die of indigestion. Can you talk operationally about how you actually go about building a culture where your scientists are empowered? And I'm sure as a leader, you have to be setting that example, right? Exactly. You have to model that and you have to reward it and you have to do it continuously. You can't just do it once and say, I'm done. I'll give you an example of something we did that I'm very proud of. So we started these awards at GSK and the R&D organization for transformational medicines awards, we call them the TMA awards. And we just started it with the idea of being that we want to recognize these brilliant teams that are that are doing all this stuff so well. At the same time, I wanted to make sure that we were have taking every opportunity we can to reinforce this culture. And my leadership team and I, through lots of help and lots of nominations, ended up choosing, I forget exactly the number of people and teams that won these, but, you know, like around 20 or something. And each of us sort of identified the two or three of the list that they wanted to go. We had a, a nice little ceremony to reward them with. And each of us took three or four different teams and told the whole group why it was so special. The one that I chose to highlight was a team that was working on a project I thought was incredibly interesting. Really great biology. The unmet need was huge. It's an area of science that I particularly think we should be pursuing more aggressively. They were excited about their program. They got the funding to go forward, and they decided to do one more study before moving forward, just to be absolutely sure they weren't working on one of those 90% that were going to be failing. And they did it, and lo and behold, to their surprise, it failed despite getting all the funding they needed to go forward. And they said, you know what? We shouldn't move forward. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's just such a heartbreaker, I'm sure, for all the people involved and all these people who are championing it. You have this vision in your head that someday you're going to be taking these really sick people, making them better. And then all of a sudden you go, we're done. We can't do this. And so we gave an award, an innovator's award, a transformational medicine award to that team for having made a smart decision to kill something. And we rewarded it and celebrated it, even though on one level, it wasn't anything to be celebrated because it's never going to help patients. But on the big level, following the science and, and doing what's right needs to be incentivized. And so that's one example of something we did that reinforces the culture. So the bars are rising, which is just forcing us to be more innovative every day. And the way I balance that is to just keep the smart risk-taking model in mind. Whether you're looking at a decision about how to optimize patients in a trial that you're going to start tomorrow and how you can do that, or whether you're thinking about a new model for doing discovery that's not going to result in medicine for 10 years. I think the key thing is to hire outstanding people, you know, head-spinning talent that you either hire or collaborate with, that you focus, focus, focus on the right stuff so that you have time to think, that you take smart risks, that you follow the data, that you're just sort of a obsessed with smart risk-taking and, and doing the math on, on making good decisions. And if you do that and have this innovative culture and really push the right technology to the bleeding edge, I think, you know, it's going to be okay. But again, using the analogy in the beginning, sometimes you're going to be playing a very smart game. You're going to call it heads and it's going to be tails. And you just can't lose faith that the model will deliver if you're making smart risks, taking smart risks. So, and it isn't just one reward. It's not just one announcement. This is culture. And culture takes years to build. And frankly, culture is also the thing you can ruin quickly, too. It takes a long time to create trust, and you can lose it quickly. Culture, the key to it all. Difficult to build, and sadly, easy to knock down. 
At GSK, Hal says, it's paramount. And it involves everything from the big problems and health they choose to focus on to the way they make everyday decisions. It is, in some respects, as much as the science is incredibly complicated, the technology is incredibly complicated. To some extent, building the culture of innovation you need is harder. And, and from that, I've taken the importance of focus. You see it in many great companies. I mean, Apple, Steve Jobs would often say some of the hardest things he'd, he'd decide is not what to do, but what not to do. It's really fun to think about the most exciting project. And it's a lot more challenging to figure out what's the least most important 10% of the stuff we're working on so we can stop. It's hard to do, actually. But doing it allows you to focus. And again, it's not about the value of the thing you didn't do. It's just being confident that you're just focusing on stuff that's way more important. It's, I think, a little bit analogous to, to single accountable decision makers. There's going to be somebody who didn't think that was the least most important project, that's for sure. But this focus, there's a, supposedly a little sign in Apple somewhere that says, it's got this little thing that says, simplify, simplify, simplify. And the last two simplifies are crossed out. And I love that way of thinking that you can just focus in on the biggest value drivers, the things that's going to help patients the most. There's lots of ways of thinking about this, but focus, I think, is an incredibly important component of an innovative culture. And that's important for not only pharma, but all industries, right? Focusing on the correct thing and going after it. But how do you find that right thing to pursue while avoiding the wrong ones? And who actually makes those kinds of calls? What we put in place is what we call the single accountable decision-making model, where one person, the most qualified, which is by, by no means the most senior person at times, is just the most qualified to make the decision, listens very carefully to his or her colleagues, asks probing questions, and will actually make a decision, which might be exactly what everybody thinks is right. It might be what the majority thinks is right, such that if they voted, maybe that would be the decision but not infrequently, and it will be maybe the minority view. And that person with all of their content expertise, with all of their ability to listen well and probe and ask questions and see around corners, they believe that the minority view is correct. And that's what we do. We don't say, well, why don't we find something everybody can live with? Because ultimately people will be happy and we won't be, you know, good things might happen, but terrific things won't happen when you do that is, is our view. So we've really worked on, on that kind of model. So for us, it's, it's really three things. It's this big innovative vision that's really inspiring that leverages the science of what you're doing like a GSK for us. That's, I can get into what that is, but it's, it's having, pushing certain technologies to the bleeding edge and it's having an innovative culture. This is what we call science times technology times culture, because to get any one of those wrong, you know, that's why we say multiplied by, because if any one of those is a zero, it's not the average of the three. I spoke briefly at the beginning of this podcast about the world's great innovations, the objects and technologies that have made our world better. Outputs. At GSK, Hal sees the innovation in pharma as also encoded within the process itself. It's about the people, the way they make decisions, the freedom they are afforded to take a calculated leap and know they'll be appreciated for it, assuming smart decision-making, even if it doesn't work out the way they had hoped. It takes real, continuous, careful intention to cultivate that kind of culture. I keep coming back to the team Hal mentioned, the folks who were trying to work towards something to fill an unmet need for potential patients, pouring their hearts and their time and their funding into it, only to decide it wasn't the right call to go forward because the data didn't support it anymore. 
I can't imagine the heartbreak. So to receive a literal award for it, not only for their work, but for making the decision to stop that work, well, it must have meant the world. It's freedom, but within a framework. It's a leap, but a calculated one. And it's innovation, but not at the end. Innovation is the journey itself. That's all for this episode. Creativity Equation is produced by FastCo Works in partnership with GSK. I'm Julianne Pepitone. Our producer is Avery Miles.